Hey friends, I'm Linda and this is Calling Water, the podcast where we look at a passage of scripture to not only talk about what it means, but what it might call us to do. In today's episode, A Wise and Discerning Heart, we're looking at the story of Solomon becoming king and asking God for wisdom in 1 Kings chapter 3, and how we can exercise the same humility and discernment ourselves. Let's get started. Today's passage in 1 Kings chapter 3 is about the fairly well-known story of what Solomon asked for when God told him he could ask for anything he wanted. But I feel it's important to set the scene for why Solomon asked for what he did at that juncture in his life. As we learned in the previous episode, Solomon's journey to become king was not a seamless one. His other brothers had all died in pursuit of the crown, and in order to secure his own kingship, Solomon had to order a lot of people to be killed. It took a lot of cleverness and intrigue and plotting and scheming to get Solomon on that throne. And if you're familiar with the whole of Solomon's story, you'll find that the first few verses of chapter 3 are pretty indicative of what will bring about his demise later on. Because we're told he marries the daughter of Pharaoh to form a strategic alliance with Egypt, and also that the people still worshipped at the high places. And the high places were traditionally altars set up for pagan gods, but God's people had also started up offering sacrifices there since a temple was yet to be built. And we know that Solomon's many so-called strategic marriages and high places built for these wives would prove to be the beginning of the end for Solomon. But early in his life, verse 3 tells us that Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Our main story for today takes place at one of these high places, and the most important one, in fact, called Gibeon. The text says he burned a thousand burnt offerings there, a thousand live animals that had to be slaughtered, then sacrificed. This was not an overnight trip for Solomon and his posse. This entire ceremony could have taken weeks and weeks for all we know. And I'm pointing this out merely to show that Solomon was dedicated to honoring God in this extravagant way. It was going to be a costly and labor-intensive sacrifice, which kind of makes the way we give offering nowadays seem pretty meager, doesn't it? In any case, one of these nights that Solomon was at Gibeon, we read in verse 5 that the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and says to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, this sounds like the setup to any story involving a magical being like a genie who grants wishes, but they never really go according to plan, and you usually have to phrase your wish really carefully. I'm sure you've all heard jokes like this one, where three people were trapped on a deserted island and they come across a magic lamp, and out pops a genie who grants each of them a wish. The first wishes to get off the island and be in Paris. The second wishes to escape to London. And the third, comically, says he wishes his friends would all come back. And more sinister versions of this wish-granting motif 
can be seen a lot in horror films or in short stories like The Monkey's Paw, like where a man wishes for a specific sum of money and he is granted that wish when his son dies in a tragic work accident and the company makes a goodwill payment to the family in the exact sum the dad had wished for. I know it's really dark. And all of these stories, even the benevolent genie ones, all show how making wishes like these could go horribly wrong. And the moral of the story is usually just to be content with what you already have, right? But God is nothing like any of these wish-granting entities, even though, let's admit it, we sometimes treat God as though he is some sort of genie. And when God tells Solomon in the dream to ask for whatever you want me to give you, God doesn't put any conditions or limitations on it. But in a way, it ends up being a sort of test and Solomon aces it. Because this is how Solomon responds. The first thing he does is recognize that it is only by God's kindness and mercy that he has become king in the first place. He says to God in verses 6 through 7, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and had given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. Now, it's interesting how much of a pedestal Solomon puts David on, considering at the very least he had to have heard what his father had done to his own mother Bathsheba years before he was born. But in saying this, he is appealing to God to remember David's goodness rather than his many flaws. And on that note, he is praising God for showing him the same compassion on his late father's behalf. It's incredible that Solomon begins his reply by laying out these facts. He is saying he is not deserving of much more. God had already shown him more than enough favor. So Solomon is demonstrating a lack of greed here. But then he does say he is lacking one thing, and that shows up in verse 7 when he says, But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Solomon is acknowledging that he has limited experiences when it comes to the ins and outs of running a kingdom. He hadn't been a soldier. He hadn't been eyeing the throne his whole life as his brothers had, as well as far as we know anyway. And Solomon was more or less thrust into leadership with very little training and preparation. And he realizes he's been given a great gift, but he does not know what to do with it. So finally, after all this groundwork, we get to what it is Solomon feels is his greatest need. In verse 9, Solomon makes the following request. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon at this point didn't really need anything. He already had a prosperous kingdom handed to him by his father and a skilled army. Asking for more would have in fact been greedy. Moreover, the manner in which he answered God was humble. He knew he was in no position to ask for anything more than what he already had. 
And this is how we know that Solomon was already a wise man. God basically gave him a blank check. And even in his dream, he thought to ask God for something that would make him a better ruler over his people instead of things that would make his own life better. So the passage tells us God was pleased with Solomon's request because this is how God responds in verses 11 through 14. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. In short, Solomon exercised wisdom in asking for wisdom. Sure, the next morning Solomon woke up and realized that it had all been a dream, but we know that all of it came to pass because he had shown his deepest longing while in the depths of his REM cycle, God knew his heart and granted him all that he had asked for and much, much more. And we see his wisdom in practice right away. If we read on in 1 Kings chapter 3, we come across the famous story of Solomon threatening to cut a baby in half when two women were fighting over who the baby truly belonged to. Of course, he had no intention of actually harming the baby, but imposing such a threat, he was able to discern who the real mother was. And it was the one who begged Solomon to spare the baby's life, even if it meant she wouldn't be able to keep the child. It's pretty creative, right? The wisdom God gave Solomon was not so that he could earn bragging rights as the smartest man alive, which arguably he was, but God gave him this wise and discerning heart that he so wanted so that he could govern his people justly and shrewdly. There's a thing called the Socratic paradox that goes, I know that I know nothing. But I think this is a general fact of life too, because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. I remember entering seminary all those years ago thinking that I was so ahead of the game because I thought I knew Bible so well. And then I left seminary being less certain than I had ever been in my entire life. And it's not because I had lesser faith, but because I was starting to understand just how big God truly was and how finite human understanding is. Yet, despite this discombobulating thought, we find hope in knowing that God's wisdom is available to us to help us navigate life's uncertainties. And truly, it is the best thing we can ask for in lieu of all the material things that we usually ask for. We're so accustomed to asking God for things, and we, like Solomon, think we need to preface our prayers with all the good things we have done. But we must remember, God is not faithful because we are faithful. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 tells us, 
even when we are faithless, God is faithful because God cannot contradict his very nature. But there is a way we can make our requests more pleasing to God. As we lift up our prayers, do a temperature check of sorts according to the parameters set by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now we can follow Solomon's example in following these parameters and ask ourselves if our prayers were just as honorable as his was. Is our request pure or is there an ulterior motive? Is our request humble or do we think we deserve what we're asking for? Is our request something that will help us serve others or is it purely self-serving? What does it mean to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? Solomon so desperately wanted to escape the darkness that his brothers had carried in their hearts. So he sought after God the way his father David had instructed him to, and in the way Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 through 10 tells us to do. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Solomon's request for a wise and discerning heart demonstrated goodness, righteousness, and truth, the very things that please God. So think about all the things you think you need to ask God for right now. Then take a step back and think, do I really need these specific things? Or do I first need to seek God's kingdom and righteousness and ask for a wise and discerning heart instead. There comes a time when we need to stop being self-sufficient and thinking we know everything. Admit you know nothing and recognize you need God's help and guidance. And continue to surround yourself with people who can be an additional source of wisdom that is steeped in God's goodness, righteousness, and truth. And when you do seek God first, Trust that he will give you everything you need and everything you didn't even know you needed. Let's pray. God, your word tells us in James 1.5 that if any of us lack wisdom, we should only ask. And you will give it to us generously without finding fault. And Lord, we have so many faults. We treat you like a wishing well who we truly hope will grant us our desires of the moment instead of the merciful Father you always have been to us, just as you had been to Solomon. You have given us so much already, and yet we are not satiated by what we have. So teach us, God, how to seek you above all else. And if we are desperate for anything, may it be for more of you knowing full well that everything we really need is in you and only you. In Jesus' name, amen.